0: Section 1 of the Mysteries of London, Volume 3. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. The Mysteries of London, Volume 3, by George W. M. Reynolds. The Travelling Carriage it was about nine o'clock in the evening of the second of november eighteen twenty six that a travelling carriage stopped on its way to london to change horses at the principal hotel in the little town of staines the inmates of the vehicle were two ladies an elderly domestic in livery and a female attendant occupied the box the night was clear fine and frosty the moon shone brightly and the carriage lamps threw a strong glare to a considerable distance in front of the vehicle the active ostlers speedily unharnessed the four weary steeds and substituted as many fresh ones in their place the two post boys leapt into their saddles the landlord cried all right and the carriage rolled rapidly away from the inn the horse's shoes striking fire against the stones If there be anything particularly calculated to raise the spirits, said one lady to the other, a few minutes after the chariot had left the peaceful town behind, it is travelling upon such a beauteous night as this. I am delighted to observe that you are in good spirits this evening, my dear Lady Hatfield, was the reply. After passing four long months at Sir Ralph Walsingham's country seat, London will present fresh attractions for your ladyship my dear miss mordaunt returned lady hatfield in a serious tone you are aware that i am indifferent to those formal parties and ceremonial assemblies which are reckoned amongst the pleasures of the fashionable world and i can assure you that had not my uncle purported to return to london in a few days my own inclinations would have urged me to prolong my stay at walsingham manor for my part said miss mordaunt i am quite delighted with the idea of hastening back to the great metropolis a summer in the country is only tolerable because each day brings one nearer to the enjoyments of a winter in town but really my dear lady hatfield you are not reasonable rich young and beautiful as you are your own mistress and with the handsomest man in england dying to lay his coronet at your feet i shall never marry julia hastily interrupted lady hatfield pray let us change the conversation a few minutes ago i was in excellent spirits and now she paused and a deep sigh escaped her bosom did i not say you were quite unreasonable exclaimed her companion here i am five years older than yourself but i do not mind telling you my dear friend that i shall never see thirty again and yet I have not renounced the idea of changing my condition. I know that I am neither so good-looking nor so wealthy as you. Still, I have my little ambition. Sir Christopher Blunt would deem himself honoured were I to smile graciously upon him. But my brother, the lieutenant, who by the by expects his captaincy in a few days, thanks to the interest of your kind uncle Sir Ralph, declares that if i ever marry a mere knight he will never speak to me again lady hatfield had fallen into a profound reverie and paid not the slightest regard to the confidential outpourings of her garrulous companion miss mordaunt who laboured under the pleasing impression that lady hatfield's silence was occasioned by the deep interest which she took in the present topic continued to rattle away with her tongue as fast as the carriage did with its wheels i am sure it was a very great act of kindness in you to ask me to spend the winter with you in london for as papa is compelled to reside in ireland in consequence of the unsettled state of his tenantry i should have been under the necessity of returning to the emerald isle after my four months visit with you to walsingham manor had you not taken that compassion on me but let us speak of yourself dear lady hatfield without a soul in the world to control your actions with the means of procuring every enjoyment and with lord ellingham going mad on your account julia said lady hatfield with a start again i beseech you to drop this subject and as you will be my companion for some months to come let me now once for all enjoin you to abstain from such topics as you cannot read the secrets of my heart pray bear in mind the fact that many a light word uttered thoughtlessly and with no malicious intent may touch a chord that will thrill she added calmly but bitterly to the inmost recesses of my soul oh my dear lady hatfield exclaimed miss mordaunt who in spite of her loquacity was a very good-natured person i am rejoiced that you have given me this warning and how foolish of me not to have observed what indeed i now remember that the topic of love never was agreeable to you to be sure it was during the sermon upon the felicity of the wedded state that you fainted and were taken into the vestry lady hatfield writhed in mental agony and bitterly at that moment did she repent the invitation which she had given her thoughtless companion to pass the winter with her in london the carriage had now reached the little town of Bedfont, which it traversed without stopping, and continued its rapid way towards Hounslow. But all of a sudden the course of the chariot was checked, as if by an unexpected impediment in the way, and the horses began to plunge frightfully. At the same time the lady's maid on the box uttered a dreadful scream. Lady Hatfield drew down the window nearest to her, The chaise that moment came to a full stop, and a stern but evidently disguised voice exclaimed, "'Keep your horses quiet, you damned fools, and don't mind me. If you stir till I give you leave, I'll blow out the brains of both of you.' "'Robbers!' shrieked Miss Mordaunt in a despairing tone. "'Oh, what will become of us?' Lady Hatfield looked from the window and at the same instant a man mounted on horseback with a black mask over his countenance and a pistol in each hand was by the side of the vehicle villain cried the livery servant on the box but you shall swing for this perhaps i may said the highwayman coolly though still speaking in a feigned tone as is the custom with individuals of his profession upon such occasions as the one we are describing and if you attempt to move old fellow from where you are an ounce of lead shall tumble you down from your perch beg pardon ma'am continued the robber turning towards lady hatfield who had shrunk back into the corner of the carriage the moment the desperado appeared at the window sorry to inconvenience you but your purse lady hatfield handed the highwayman her reticule good said he perceiving by its weight and a certain jingling sound Which it sent forth that it contained gold. But you have a companion, ma'am. Her purse? Miss Mordaunt complied with this demand and implored the good gentleman not to murder her. The highwayman gave no reply, but vouchsafed a most satisfactory proof of his intended forbearance in that respect by putting spurs to his steed and darting off like an arrow in the direction of Hounslow. Cowardly villains that you are! Ejaculated the livery servant, hurling this reproach against the postboys, and what are you, old fool? cried the postillion who rode the wheel-horse, but he'll be nabbed yet, drive on, drive on, exclaimed Lady Hatfield from the window. We are all frightened and not hurt, indeed, my dear said Miss Mordaunt, as the carriage started off rapidly once more. I am seriously hurt, grievously wounded you julia cried her ladyship in unfeigned surprise yes in pocket was the answer implying deep vexation all the remainder of my quarter's allowance oh compose yourself on that head interrupted lady hatfield you shall not be compelled to acquaint mr mordaunt with your loss this assurance conveying a promise of pecuniary assistance materially tended to tranquillise the mind of miss mordaunt but the event which had just occurred apart from the mere robbery of her reticule awoke the most painful reflections in the mind of lady hatfield by the by said miss mordaunt after a short pause for she never remained long silent this audacious outrage reminds me of something your uncle sir ralph walsingham was telling me one day when you interrupted him in the middle i think he informed me that about six or seven years ago when you were only eighteen or nineteen you were staying at your dear lamented father's country-house, where you were quite alone, for, of course, one does not call the servants anybody. When the mansion was broken into by robbers during the night— "'Julia!' exclaimed Lady Hatfield, her whole frame fearfully convulsed by the powerful, though useless, efforts which she made to subdue her agitation. "'Never, I implore you, again allude to that dreadful event.' "'Well, I never will!' said miss mordaunt and yet if one must not speak of love nor yet of marriage nor yet of midnight burglaries nay i was wrong to cut you short thus abruptly remarked lady hatfield now endeavouring to rob her prayer of the importance with which her solemn earnestness of manner had invested it only do choose some more enlivening topic after the fright which we have just experienced the first thing to-morrow morning said miss morton who had not noticed the full extent of the impression which her allusion to the burglaries of some years back had made upon her companion for julia was too flippant superficial and volatile to pay much attention to the emotions of others the first thing to-morrow morning we must give information to the bow street runners concerning this highway robbery secondly we must write to the landlord at staines to tell him what a couple of cowardly fellows he has got in the shape of these postilions and thirdly you must discharge old mason who is evidently incapable of protecting his mistress much less her friends discharge old mason exclaimed lady hatfield impossible how could he have protected us he is unarmed whereas the highwaymen flourish two large pistols doubtless loaded But here we are, safe at Hounslow. The carriage drew up at the door of the hotel in this town, and the postillions immediately narrated the particulars of the robbery to the landlord and his attendant tribe of hangers-on. "'Well, this is fortunate,' cried the landlord, when the tale was told. "'Quite a godsend, as one may say.' "'As how, please, sir?' exclaimed the elder postboy, astonished at the remark. Why, it happens that Dykes, the famous Bow Street officer, is in the hotel at this very instant, said the landlord. John, he added, turning to a waiter who stood near, beg Mr. Dykes to step this way. And what's Dykes doing down here? asked the postboy, when the waiter had disappeared, to execute the commission he had received. He's been investigating a century fire, replied an ostler, for the landlord, disdaining to hold any farther converse with a postillion, had stepped up to the window to inquire whether the ladies chose to alight. Having received a negative answer, accompanied with an intimation that the sooner the carriage was allowed to proceed, the more agreeable it would be to Lady Hatfield and Miss Mordaunt, the landlord returned towards the spot where the postillions, the hangers-on of the hotel, and other loungers were grouped together. Mr. Dykes almost immediately afterwards made his appearance in the form of a tall, stout, heavy, but powerfully built man, shabby-genteel in his attire, and carrying a strong ash-stick in his hand. The particulars of the highway robbery were described to him in a very few moments. "'How was the fellow dressed?' asked the officer. "'A black coat,' said the first postboy.
1: "'No,
0: it wasn't,' cried the second. "'Then what was it?' demanded mr dykes i don't know but i'm sure it wasn't a black un was the highly satisfactory answer describe the horse said dykes impatiently brown switch tails standing about fourteen hands nonsense ejaculated the second postillion interrupting his companion who had volunteered the explanation it was a light bay the moon fell full upon it so did the carriage lights come i see we are only losing time cried the officer which way did he go he galloped off in this direction was the reply which remained uncontradicted then he'll be in london to-night whichever road he took said mr dykes if your ladies will give me a cast as far as town i'll be after the villain perhaps he turned off to the left towards hatton and so over by hanwell and then shepherd's bush or else he made straight for richmond and so over into surrey but one way or another he's sure to be in london by midnight and ten to one if i don't pounce on him my business is done down here and i may just as well toddle back to-night as to-morrow morning the substance of these remarks was communicated to lady hatfield who could not well do otherwise than accord a seat on the box to mr dykes charlotte the lady's maid removing to the interior of the carriage these arrangements having been effected the vehicle pursued its way and shortly after eleven o'clock it drew up at the door of a mansion on piccadilly hill mr dykes having asked the ladies a few questions promised to communicate the result of his efforts to capture the highwaymen and then took his departure lady hatfield and miss morden shortly retired to their respective bedchambers the latter to dream of the delights of london the former to moisten her pillow with tears for the recent adventure had awakened in her mind feelings of the most agonizing description